Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. It's great to uh, see everyone. I welcome our campuses together. And certainly, um, just what we've all kind of experienced together over the last uh, you know, week, uh, watching things unfold, and we, we feel this sort of sense of, you know, as, as Clay mentioned, I'm sure has mentioned uh, in other places as well, there's a sense of heaviness, and uh, you know, the, the challenges for the, the sense of hopelessness or, or the sense of heartbreak and that uncertainty to, to give way to a hopelessness or futility. And a lot of us, when we experience things like this in our world, or we see this going on, and this is, this is not new, um, but it's, it's incredibly fresh that we wonder where God is, or what is God doing, or why does he allow, and all the questions that come with that. And um, those answers, um, you know, they're, 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 there aren't quippy answers that go, oh yeah, this is why. Um, what you begin to see and what I think gets sort of um, put front and center for us is that what does the world look like apart from the force of God's love governing it? Like this is exactly the language of the scriptures we've been looking at over the last few weeks together. He says that you will no longer be subjected to a life that is alienated from God. And you know, this is, this, this is um, what occurred in the beginning when we um, were invited to rule and to reign and to contribute and participate with God for his purposes, and it broke. And when it broke, we've taught this last, this trajectory is just ruthless. Uh, humans treating people uh, in unbelievably inhumane ways, both abroad but also here. The way we speak to one another, the way we see each other, a lot of this, this is, this is a, a, a large, uh, larger problem uh, that I want for us to you know, find hope in. Um, what I think is what God's intention is, and this is how um, I want to begin. When, when Paul talks about um, you know, who we are, he doesn't begin with a list of morality. He begins with our identity. And he begins to say, out of this kind of person, why don't you to listen to this as we read this. Out of this kind of person, these are the things that you produce. These are the things that are produced. And so um, before I, I, I tell you the story, I want you to think about two questions. Um, number one is, what is the way of life that you are most familiar with and that you are most likely to depend upon? What is the way of life that you are most familiar with and most likely to depend on? And then the second question I want you to consider is, what culture forms you the most? What, what, what sphere of thinking, of being, of sensing, what relational you know, dynamics, what what forms you the most? You know, is it the news? Is it politics? Is it your, your close friend group? Is it your, you know, what is it that form, what, what community forms you the most? Um, 
There's a story, and I, I, this story is, is, is wildly circulated a few years ago, uh, about a, a lady, her name is Crystal Jones. And Crystal Jones was a young lady who was pursuing teaching and volunteered for an organization called Teach for America. Uh, she was in Atlanta, and uh, she volunteered. And Teach for America is designed to um, serve and provide support to schools, underserved schools around uh, the country. And so she was uh, volunteered, and she was assigned, before she was actually a teacher, before she got her credentials, was assigned to a first-grade classroom, and she inherited a first-grade class. So she's young and ambitious and excited, and so there she is with her first graders, and she realized you know, this was a school that was just really first uh, elementary school, uh, first through third grade, and there was no kindergarten uh, in this particular school. So all these kids come in, and this, a lot of this is their first uh, classroom experience, and she realized that there were a few kids in the class who recognized the core kindergarten words like dog and cat and things like that. Um, but she also noticed there were a lot of kids who didn't know which way to hold the book or how to hold a pencil that they had never you know, read or written. And she's like, how are these kids going to be ready for the first grade or past first grade? And so she just kind of gave herself to this class and she began to just try to think, like, what can I do? What, what is it like to be a first grader like this? What do they want? What do they hope? Where, where, how do I you know, appeal to them? And what she noticed is when they go to the playground, she would see the third graders, the cool third graders, and she would see the first graders. And all the first graders look at the cool third graders. They're all like, we want to be like them, right? They want to be like, they want to climb the monkey bars like them. They want to run as fast as them. They want to play games like them. They want to be like them. So Crystal Jones got this idea, and she began to uh, address her students no longer as first graders, but as young budding third graders. And so every day she would address the class, you were young budding third graders. And they weren't students. She called them scholars. In fact, she made rules in her classroom. And she says, every day we're going to come in, we're going to say a mantra that we are scholars, and she taught them what that means. She said, uh, we, would, we say we are scholars, and a scholar is someone who lives to learn and is really good at it. So we would recite this mantra every single day. And she went so far as they no longer called each other by their first name, like Jim or Bob or Sue or Sarah, but rather referred to one another as scholar and then their last name, Scholar Ashcraft or Scholar Jones. So this group of young budding third graders calling one another Scholar Smith, all of a sudden began, something began to happen. They began to actually become what she knew them to be. And when you think about the way most of us have inherited a view of God and his work, it typically begins with behave better. And what really the, the scriptures are about is be who it is that you have been created to be. That's, that's what this is about. And when Clay launched this message, this series, uh, four weeks ago, it began, and we all have this view of a me, myself, and I, and God, of course, right? There was a prayer that we prayed, you know, me, myself, and I, and God, of course, and he's doing something to expand that in us because we're a part of something. And so over the course of this series, we've, we've seen essentially two things I want to just highlight. Number one is there is a clear vision at what is intended for us through the scriptures, in particular the passage we're looking at today in Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. And that clear vision is for a new humanity, it is a new man, a new woman, a new form, a new way of being human. And this is what God, so, so the, the old way that isn't going to work, that is governed by forces that keep us separated and perpetuate cycles of violence and poverty and all the things that we look at in our world and realize something has to change, something has to give way. But that system is never going to accomplish that. So what God did is he establishes a new identity for those who uh, will believe and trust and come underneath his rule 
and his reign. And it's a new humanity. And you don't just get a little fairy dust and then become that. So you came to church, surrendered your life to Jesus, and now you're perfect. That was my view of sin early on. I had a list of like sins I was working on when I was a kid, when I was younger. And it was like uh, cussing and telling lies or whatever. And you start to, you, you just keep a tally. How many times did I cuss today? How many times did I tell lies today? And eventually, like, you don't, you know, I thought, what happens if I don't cuss or I don't lie? Am I, like, perfect? And that would, but that's kind of the view. Like, when you stop doing all the things that are bad about you, are you going to, like, be perfect? And there's something else. We all know there's something else that's at stake. There's something else inside that's, that's happening. So there's a process that's required for us. And this process isn't about you going and figuring out, you know, what you're supposed to be doing and then doing it. This process does require, and the way I wrote this down in my journal, is it is, it is intentionally, uh, intentional personal effort. It, it requires something from you. You're not going to get this passively. Because you show up in church once a week and go to a small group, it, that's, it, that's good. It is, it, it's it's going to require very intentional personal effort on your part to learn and understand what it means, the implications of this new humanity on you and on me. And it also requires a shared corporate or collective experience. It's something that we have to do together. This is all clear. The, the, the thing that's, that's, that's hard about this is when you start to experience the world or share the world with people who have different experiences in, with, than you, what you realize is their experience shapes their perspective very differently than yours. And that is a pain. It's a pain. Because their experience brings challenges and issues and problems that I just would rather ignore. Or frankly, I've learned how to control because I have means or I have this or I have that or whatever it might be. And what, what we're learning and what we have to learn together is that it matters to this world how we are together. So just you know, kind of look around. Like how we are together matters. And let me tell you, that is a foreign concept for us. You know this, right? Not because we're bad or wrong, because we grew up in a Western culture that is inherently built on individualism. And to consider others, while it is a noble exercise, it is not foundational to our experience in the world. If you can take care of you and your responsibilities, you have satisfied your duties. And whatever else you do beyond that is just charity. The scriptures and what God's intention set up a very different way. It is a foreign concept for us to think collectively in this particular part of the world. At least I speak for myself in my particular view of the world. And it is foreign, and the challenge that we have is for it to become less foreign, and guess what? More normal, which is part of why in this room we had everybody sit in different places, and some of you were like, you're like going crazy. You're like, I can't believe you're making me not sit in my seat. Um, because we're learning how the implications of together and what's required of us and what's asked for us. And so what I've done is, over the last few weeks, is we've set up these kind of two categories, these two concepts uh, that, are, that are both prevalent in the Bible, and this is all the first few weeks, is self-denial, and the second one is self-control. And these two have framed the skills that are required for us to experience or to learn this new humanity. And when we think about it, we just read this on the screen, but the character 
that we have and the way in which we interact in the world does two things. It creates an identity for us. It's not just me, it's for us. And it also exerts an influence on the world. Now, you know, I take very seriously, um, and I feel very, very, very fortunate, very um, graced to have influence in the lives of, of people. And the reality is, is everyone in this room, everyone listening to my voice, you have influence over people. Whenever you have influence over someone or influence towards someone, it is an incredibly precious thing. And I talk about the fact that influence is not a right, it is a privilege for someone to, to do what you are encouraging them to do is a precious gift. It's, it's, it's such a precious thing. And a lot of us, we have learned in our culture, in our world, there's a lot of ways to influence people. You can influence people by force or power or authority or threats. Some of you have done this, how you influence your kids, right? Do it or else. A lot of you grew up and that was your version of God, right? It's like God's gonna influence you to love him and respond to him but out of fear of going to hell. And so there's all sorts of ways to influence people. And that's not, you. I mean, so I had to sit down and wrestle, how is it that I want? Do I want to guilt people, shame people? Um, what's the way in which I want to leverage my influence? How do I want to influence people? So I sat down because I know I like definitions. I sat down and I wrote a, a definition for influence for my life. And so I'm going to, again, subject it or, or uh, can inflict it on you. Um, because I don't want my influence to be based on threat or power or charm or anything else. And so with the way, and I learned this with my, with my kids, with my, with my family, my immediate family, is that my definition is that influence is the capacity to move people, to actually move people based on trust, based on trust. The reason people respond to my influence matters to me. I want it to be based on trust. So you're always working for relationships. With my kids, with my wife, I don't, I don't want them ever doing things because, simply because I said so. Now, caveat, have they done things simply because I said so? Yes, they have. That is part of the process. But that becomes the easy thing to do, and then you stop working on the hard stuff. And some of you, this is your job. This is your career. So this is the, we're, we're, we're pulling this up because what God's asking us in this new humanity is fundamentally relational. And what we see, and the way we want to read this, because we're, we're looking at this passage in, in the Scriptures. And one of the things I want to mention, I'm, I'm going to be doing a series on this before long. But when we read the Bible, um, the, the Bible is given to us not as an answer book or a how-to manual, but it's, it, it reveals the story of God's purpose and his intention and then his work to redeem that purpose and intention. That, that we, and, and it's through every page. It's, it's history and it's poetry and it's prophecy and it's biographies and it's letters. And he's doing this so that we can see and, we, we can, and what it seems to be that God, what God is trying to do is to, to reveal to us his, in, in this, the way the, the, the actual words that the writers of the scriptures use is words like manifold wisdom. It's the seen uh, integrity and wholeness and purpose and intention of God. It's, it's, it's this way in which we see this. And to me, if I were God and I wanted people to do particular things, I would just make it, I'd just write them a rule book, just make it really clear. 
But God has given us this unfolding that requires us to interact and requires us to interact with both the scriptures and requires us to interact with one another around the scriptures for the purpose of discerning what God is asking, what he is doing. Because the goal, the whole point of a new humanity is that we bear the integrity of the image in which we have been created or reborn into. And the second is the way God has chosen to leverage his influence. The the force of influence isn't force. And we do the same thing that we bear the influence or bring the influence of his love. And I can tell you this is a really hard thing to get our heads and our hearts around, which is why the first skill of this we've talked about is discernment. And discernment is all about our identity. It's all about denying ourselves so that we don't let any other identity have precedence over the identity we've been reborn into so we can faithfully bear his image and the influence of his love. And self-control isn't about the willpower required for you to stop doing the things you wish you didn't do, but rather is it a fruit of the Spirit. It is learning how to be dependent, how to trust. And both of these skills are foreign to us in our natural and current state, and we have to learn them. That's what we've been talking about. So here's how I want, I want us to just observe. This is what Paul has said to us, right? He told us we've got to lay aside some things. There needs to be a renewing of our minds, of our minds. And so Ephesians chapter uh, uh, 5, verse 1. I've printed it out here on, on my notes, and so that's what I'm going to be using. But you'll follow along on the screen. I'm going to skip, uh, I'm going to read uh, 5, 1 through 5, and then I'm going to uh, skip down and read the end of that little section, com- uh, concluding in verse 21. See if I can do this in the time I have remaining. Um, therefore, as imitators of God, dearly loved children, uh, uh, sorry, therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live in love, just as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But among you, there must ne- be, be neither a hint of sexual morality, impurity of any kind of greed, which are not fitting for the saints. And you see this, this language of identity, this is not fitting behavior. Neither should there be vulgar speech or foolish talk or coarse jesting, all of which are out of character. But rather there should be thanksgiving. For you can be confident of this thing, that a person who is immoral, impure, or greedy for such a person as an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And so we looked at those last three verses last week about sexual morality and impurity and greed. I want to just back up and look at this one more time. He says, therefore, in verse 1, be imitators of God. And most of us, when we hear be imitators, you start thinking, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Where's the list? Is it the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. Perfect. Got it, got it, got it. But what does he say when you're reading this? If we're reading this together, what does he say? Be imitators of God. How? You can say it out loud. As dearly loved children, as those who belong. As those who belong. Live in love. He is starting with a fundamental identity as those who belong. To be imitators doesn't actually mean to just do what God says. It actually means to bear his image. It is literally this. To image God. Reflect him as those who belong. 
And some of you, this is where you're wrestling, right? You're wrestling with this idea like, do I belong? And what, what makes me belong? These are all of our. Then he says, live in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. And part of this challenge for you and I is to really understand how God loves you. If we're supposed to live in the love that God has for us, we have to first understand what that love is. And I don't have time to deal with that in its fullness today, other than the fact that God calls you and he sees you as one who belongs to him because of what he has done in his son, Jesus Christ. And when we begin to learn this, and what, what Paul said, I'm going to skip down uh, to John 13, if you're following me upstairs, Katie. Um, but this idea, when, when Jesus would talk about this, um, you know, there was what was known as the golden rule, and people had talked about this. John, uh, Jesus mentions this in, in the Sermon on the Mount, that you're to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But when Jesus has his disciples together, he says something to them very pointed. Andy Stanley actually calls this the platinum rule. This is what Jesus says. Now, Jesus is a rabbi, and he says, a new command I give you. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give you. Love one another. And then what does he say next? As I have loved you, so you also love one another. And he continues on. By this, the world will know. By this, my witness will be seen in the way in which you love one another. And this is all twisted and manipulated to make us say, can we just all kumbaya and all get on? That is, that's, there's an image piece to this, to understand how you have been loved. And then it has an implication on the way you and I address or deal with one another. Paul would write this, and you see this throughout, even in, um, in the passage here, he's like, hey, you know, no empty words, there's, there's wrath, but walk as children in the light, you know, pay attention, be discerning, all these things are in this section. Paul would write it this way in Philippians, and I think this is perhaps maybe one of the, the ways that helps us think about the way Paul ends this chapter. But he says, do nothing out of vain ambition or selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Value others above yourselves. Now, it's easy when you meet someone and they're obviously better than you but do you know anybody who's not better than you? And you're like, oh, right? This is, this is the whole picture. You know, value others as, as, as more above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. So, so there's this sort of sandwiching thing. He says, as I have loved you, so you love one another. Because Paul goes on that passage and he says, have the same mindset that is in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God something that he had to possess or hold on to, but rather he emptied himself and he became a servant. He gave himself for the sake of others. So we began to see like, how did Jesus love us? And more importantly, how did he love you? How did he? How do you experience that? So, Skip down to verse 15. I want to read this and then kind of try to put a bow on this as best I can. Therefore, be very careful how you live, not as the unwise, but as the wise. And you just, you just see this throughout. Like you've, you've, you, can't, you can't sleepwalk through this. You can't just, you know, legal your way through this. There's so many things that happen in, in the world around us that, that aren't 
crisp and neat and fit into our categories. We have to say, Lord, what are you doing? To be faithful in a moment means you have to understand what God is doing in those moments. And he says, you've got to pay attention, taking advantage of every opportunity because the days are evil. For this reason, do not be foolish, but be wise by understanding what the Lord's will is. Paul is just saying, you've got to pay attention to this. And most of us, we stop paying attention to God's will when we figure out what we're supposed to do with our lives. And God's will unfolds. It's an unfolding. It's his rule and his reign and this way in which we live as his people here in this world. Then he goes on and he just he adds this in there. Do not be drunk with wine, which is debauchery. This kind of comes out of left field, doesn't it? But be filled with the Spirit. Maybe because you're going, oh my gosh, we've got to do this. We're just going to go take a drink. And so he says, no, don't do that. Um, be filled with the Spirit. Like there's something else there. Um, and then he just sort of commissions us, speaking to one another, sharing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and singing and making music. So there's a togetherness, singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord, and always giving thanks to God the Father for each other in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that all sounds really good. Okay, we, we've done that. We can sing, check, and we can thank, be thankful for people sitting around us. We can check. But look how he finishes this. Giving thanks to God. For each other in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what? What does it say next? Keep reading. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I read this passage thousands of times. And I always kind of use it to set up the next section. But what I realized is I was kind of going through this. This is like the exclamation point on this new humanity thing. To submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What in the world? For most of us, when we hear the word submission, the reason we don't like it is because most of us believe or think that submission is a response to power. Someone has the authority over you to make you do something, so you have to submit to them. So that's in the old way. What does this look like in a new humanity? What does this look like as new humans? What does it look like for us to be submissive one another out of reverence for Christ? He's giving us a whole different framework as those who have been chosen, live in love, those who are chosen. We are to submit to one another out of a vision for that. That submission is actually an act of acknowledging legitimacy in someone else. How many times do you ever disagree with them and the thing that you want to do more than anything is to make them illegitimate, to make their argument illegitimate, to cut their knee, to make them, to just to demean them and demoralize them to prove your point. Instead of to, to submit, to listen, to see another person is to give them legitimacy as a human being. When we, when we fail to do that, the trajectory is always violent. It's just the way in which the world orchestrates. So God says, that's not going to work. I'm creating a new humanity. And he asks us into this. It, it, it forces, it's, it's a way of saying, of, of giving deference to one another. And instead of seeing this as sort of some kind of weak-minded way of getting in the world, I see this as a call for us to see and to study and to know and to discern and then be willing to offer ourselves to one another and to come underneath their worth and their value and their legitimacy as someone who is a part of this with you. It's a mutuality of, of, of exchange, of seeing each other and knowing one another and recognizing one another. Do you have people in your life who see God's work in you and can call it out of you? The reason this is so important is because there are people who have seen things in me that I did not know were there or that I was afraid to act on. 
And to submit means to sometimes trust and to walk into those things. As I began to wrestle with this, what, what we need to understand is this whole idea is to be reminded that we live underneath this submission to Christ to, to, out of reverence for him. But to know God and to love God is to be loved by him and to, is to be formed by him, which we're talking about, is going to challenge you. For God to form you into his image in community is going to challenge you, and it's going to challenge you deeply. And for most of us, if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time and you have stopped being challenged by God, it is more than likely because you have now begun to form God into your image rather than you being formed into his. If he is constantly revealing, we are constantly being shaped and it is always going to be challenging. But we are afraid of this. We're afraid that if, if he challenges us, somehow the truth is going to get relative or muddy and, things are, and we're, going to, you know, we're going to end up with this kind of mushy, mushy stuff. We're just submitting to one another and hope you do well. And it's out of reverence for his lordship is what we're talking about. This isn't, this isn't passive in that sense. And so when we get to this place where we're trying to moderate or control all the gray areas, the tool that we have is to make rules. The law. And this is what you do with your kids, right? When your kids like do something, you just have to make another rule on top of it. Or, or if you've been in a, in a policy, you know, as we were talking to someone uh, this past week, we were doing a, um, uh, a group, and one of the uh, ladies said that she works in auditing. And every time they have an audit violation, the company responds by making a list of rules to make sure that audit violation never happens again. Now they have a list of rules that's like this thick. Because you, you can't make enough to control and govern. And this, this is the condition of the world. But then the scriptures teach us this, that we don't live under law, we live under grace. And most of us are like, we don't, we don't even think about what that means. To live under grace, there is an inherent submission to it and requires us to trust and to build trust. From what I understand about the scriptures, there is no loophole that lets you and I off the hook from trust. It's the, what restores us to our relationship with God the Father. It is what restores us to a relationship with one another. I just can't find any loopholes. Believe me, I've tried. So, so this is where we're left. And I want to tell you how this works um, in practice. Because for those of you, you know, Port City is a relatively complex organization. I assume you, you know that. Um, we have a lot of employees. We have to operate all kinds of laws. All kinds of things are there. And I've grown up in organizations, particularly churches, where the organization is arranged so that no one is ever responsible. It's kind of like our government. And sorry, did I say that out loud? Sorry. Stay focused. And so, but what happens is you create a body that can blame another, one group that can blame another group. So when something doesn't get done, they just point the finger at each other. So we decided very early on in the early days of Port City that, that the way we were going to lead and leverage our influence in this church is we were going to make very clear decisions. We were always going to take responsibility for the decisions that we made. That was, and there, and there, there was always going to be a name on a decision. So it's not going to be, it's not going to be, I don't really know it's going to be, this is the decision. And listen, um, I've made some decisions over the last couple of years. I know because I've gotten lots of emails about the decisions that I've made. And um, I I'm not afraid to make them. We are not afraid to make them. But here's what you need to understand. When, we, when I talk about submitting to one another, because it's not, it's not to say when we submit to one another, it's going to be like someone going, well, you go first. 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 And nothing ever gets done. That's not what this is about. It's about giving legitimacy 
and saying that someone else has authority in my life to see what God is doing, to discern what God is doing, to discern what God is doing in us. So when we make decisions, and it is collective, we sit down and we say, whose decision is this? If they say it's Richie's or it's Rick's or it's Mike's or it's, you know, whoever's it is, we say this is whose it is. And then we all say, yes, we believe this is what God is doing. And we work together. That's how I, so for me personally, like I have people in my life who see and affirm what God is doing in my life. In 2016 and 17, I was uh, heading into, uh, sorry, 17 and 18, I was going to be 50. I was coming up on my 50th birthday. Uh, in, in 2020. And so I said, Lord, am I the person to take Port City Community Church into the next season? And so rather than go and sit, and it's, it wasn't like, oh, I'm tired of this. It's like, Lord, I want to know because I'm going to have to commit a section of my life and have vision for what you're asking. I can't just go, well, I've just been doing it for 20 years. I guess I might as well go ahead and keep doing it for the next 20 years. That would be no good for y'all. And so I said, Lord, you know, I, so I told the people that were around me, I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. I've got to have a sense of fresh vision. I'm, I'm going to lay this out at your feet and say, this is going to be my process. And so I went and said, Lord, do you, give, do you have a fresh sense of call for, to be the pastor at Port City Community Church? And do I have a fresh vision for what you want to do in the next season? And I spent a year and a half wrestling with that, six months very intentionally. And I had people praying with me and walking with me in this. So when we got together, I said, this is what I'm sensing. They said, yes, we sense that too. But I am taking what, what I'm not going to go in and say, well, I'm the pastor. What do you, I, I have to come in there. And I have to, because what has to happen is I have to recognize that this idea of self-denial says my identity is not as the pastor of this church. My identity as one who belongs to the Father first. And not ever let one of those other identities get precedence or call and have a fresh sense of this. You, you have to have people around you who can see this and say this about you. But it is out of reverence for Christ that this happens. What the skills that you and I need, it says that we live in love. We live in this place where, we have, where God has breathed worth and value. And you've, you've got to say, Lord, can you show me how you've loved me? Can you help me articulate it? Can you help me see this? We have to discern this out of reverence for Christ. And then what you have to do, and this is what I call applied dependence, you have to actually trust God. Do you know whose responsibility is it for you to be formed more fully into Christ's image and to participate in his body the way God has intended you to? I wish it were mine. Lord, I would guilt you and browbeat you. You know what's hard? That's easy. You know what's hard? To trust to trust that God's going to do it in you and to trust that you're actually going to do it. You know how hard that is? You've got to trust that for me. I mean, this, this is exactly why this is so important. How many times do you want to just control someone else's participation or engagement or formation? Because God ain't doing it fast enough. Like what he has set up is unbelievably, it feels precarious until you experience it. And when you begin to live with other people, I begin to think about this. I read a lot. I stay up to date on a lot of things. The most formative community in my life is this church. You know how grateful I am? Do you know how grateful I am? The most, the most formational community in my life is this church. 
And y'all, I think that's what it's supposed to be. It's, it's not because of my teaching. It's because of the community, the way we learn how to live as new creatures in a new humanity that then, therefore, bear his image, the integrity of his image and the influence of his love on the world. And you've got to take steps and invite people in. There, there, there just is no shortcut. There's just not a shortcut. The things we're going to have to discern, the way in which we're going to have to learn how to navigate this world in the coming months and years and decades, I've been saying this for three years, it's going to take incredible discernment and shrewdness. And we got to trust each other. we got to trust each other with the Lord. we got to trust the Lord with one another. We've got to learn how to trust one another. But once you, once you see a glimpse of this beginning to work, you, you won't unsee it. Very few things have shaped me like this experience has, and I am, I am so committed to what God wants us to do together, together. And that's what I want for each of you, not because we're like each we're not. God is doing something that you, I believe, want to be involved in, but your part is needed to be involved in because it's a new humanity to bring witness to the glory and the beauty of God's love and grace to a world that desperately needs it, right? So here's how I want to close. I'm going to, I'm going to just, I've been, part of my exercise has been, a discipline's been writing out prayers over the last few years and trying to read them in context like this so we can sort of pray together and just wrestle together through a, a written prayer that's, that's kind of um, been, been put together with intentionality. And so this is one I've done to close this series, and it was rooted out of the prayer um, that Clay used in the week, uh, week one about the me, myself, and I, and all of a sudden we got to go to we. So use that as kind of, this is inspired by that to pray for us, for our church. So the words will be on the screen, and it's a, it's a confession of sorts. So just see if this resonates with anybody. Lord, I like control. And all God's people said, there we go. I like to control anything that directly affects me. And I distance myself from anything I can't control, so its effect is minimal. My way of life is to exercise my will. In you, I've been crucified. In you, it is no longer my way nor my will. Your invitation is self-denial, that I would give allegiance to no other image and no other identity. Your way is complete dependence, surrendered to show up, to bear your image, and to bring your love. My way in your kingdom begins with encountering you. So Lord, let us see you and be seen by you. To marvel and to be in awe. To pause and revere and recognize and receive as your way becomes more normal and less foreign. In you we have been and are being restored. In you we have been and are being redeemed. In you we are new creatures. In you we are a new humanity. Forsaking the old, I assume my rightful place in the new as new. In you we see and honor one another. 
giving deference and space, breathing worth and value. Let us live truthfully and tenderly together because we belong to one another. And in you, we are formed and empowered to bear your image and to bring your love. Father, help us. We utter that prayer and recognize that it is a helper that you have sent precisely, the Holy Spirit, to help us to discern, to know, to see. Father, this week, your body will, will encounter tens of thousands of people who are looking for another way. We're looking for hope. And here we are as new humans. God, we are carriers of it. Would you continue to unify us as we trust you more, as we heed your voice more intimately and dependently? And God, as much as I want to control all the things we're doing, I trust you to build us into the church that you intend for us to be. So God, challenge us, form us, shape us so that we more fully bear your image. God, we bring your love to a world that desperately needs it. And I lift all these things, may your son Jesus, who is our king. Amen.